loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, this is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm welcoming Susan Hayden. Susan's a poet, playwright, novelist, and essayist who explores identity, belonging, the search for home, and life after loss. A fixture in the Los Angeles literary community for over 30 years, Susan's short plays have been produced at the Met Theater, SLA, South Coast Rep's Nexus Project, Mark Taper Forum's Other Voices, Padua Playwrights Festival, Lost Studio, and in Cafe Plays at the Ruskin. Her novel, Cat Stevens Saved My Life, was a finalist in the inaugural Amazon Breakthrough Novel Award. She's been published in two anthologies, Los Angeles in the 1970s, and I Might Be the Person You Are Talking To. Hayden is creator producer of Library Girl, a monthly words and music series in its ninth year at the Ruskin Group Gruskin Group Theater. In 2015, she was presented with the Breweria Finkel Artist in the Community Award by the Santa Monica Arts Foundation for her significant contributions to the energetic discourse within Santa Monica's arts community. Welcome, Susan. Hi, Cheryl. Thank you so for glad to me. have you here today. Um, I've been I've been uh, really enjoying learning about your work and uh, reading many things you've written. I wanted to just start with something that sort of stuck with me from that as a way of beginning to talk about uh, the loss that led to what you do these days. It was a quote from an article, and you said, I shared two decades with my husband and creative partner, a true companion who was the top layer of me, the other side of my heart, my emergency contact. When I lost him suddenly and traumatically, I was forced to rebuild my life from the ground up and raise our child alone. I particularly resonated with my emergency contact that I've never uh, I've never heard the loss of a partner described that way. And, of course, it, it really resonated for me. Yes. I mean, I think growing up, it was always my mom until I was 27 and I met Chris. And then it became Chris, and then after he died, it became my mom again, which is kind of crazy. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, yeah. that's what it is. It's the witness of your life and your emergency contact. That that's first person, and yes, yeah. the companion. That's can you can you share with the listeners at times. what can you share with the listeners a little bit about Chris and your loss of him. Um, you know, which brings us to our conversation today. Yes. Uh, let's see. I met him in my 20s. We were madly in love and we were together for, as you mentioned, almost 20 years, 17 and a half to be exact. And it was an interesting combination, the two of us, because he was a mountain guy. He was a, he was a risk taker, an adventurer, and he had a kind of wild abandon in nature 
And I was the kind of person that I wasn't allowed to cross the street by myself until I was about 12 or 13. Oh. I had very overprotective, loving parents who were so afraid something was going to happen to me that I didn't get to do a whole lot growing up um, in terms of my physicality and in nature. And he was the opposite of that. And he introduced me to nature. And I introduced him to being an emotional adventurer. Uh. <laughs> that's yeah. that's interesting that that intersects with a um with something i i say about myself as uh, i'm very brave when it comes to human adventure not so much jumping yes. out of planes so <laughs> and in a way it's harder that. i think it's more challenging but it's I, there's something braver about being adventurous in your in your emotional life and your romantic life with your heart and, and he um, going into the woods and jumping off a cliff or whatever. Right. <laughs> so, but it it sounds to me as if, uh, of course, every relationship has its you know glitches and and wonders. Um, but it sounds as if you each allowed the other to kind of bring you into that other world. Absolutely, I knew that if I didn't accept these parts of him, that the relationship wouldn't last. It was a little bit of a deal with the devil, to be cliche. Uh, I knew that if I stopped him, he wouldn't stay because it was his true nature. And so I accepted, I accepted it and I embraced it. And I used to travel along with him a lot of the time and I didn't do any of those things, but I would stay in the cabin and I would call myself base camp. I kept the cabin warm and I would bake cookies and make sure the heater was on when he got in from the snow and that kind of thing. But I wasn't out there with him doing any of it. And, and so, and he had a heightened, even though he was this kind of wild man in that way, he had a heightened domestic side to him as well. So he was also a homebody and he was the main course cook and he was the one who planted the vegetables for the for the salads and uh and he was the there was he was he took care of the home as well as his desire the desire that he had to go on these adventures for all of that there was this this other side to him which was really a family man and mm. wanting to take care of us and in that way and 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 he did and so it was, we were absolute opposites, but we were the same kind of in our souls. And I think that the thing that, that we, that took place between us that I miss so much is that it's, I call it the ongoing conversation. We had that ongoing conversation with each other and we were in love but we were not alike, and so there were many conflicts. But we could talk about anything, and we could talk about everything, and we, there just was no hiding. And we were able to share all parts of ourselves without shame. And with every fight we had, there was always the resolve. So that when he died, I felt that this conversation abruptly ended, and I was... I was stunned and shocked and shattered. And later I realized that I could draw upon his wisdom and his insights and he didn't have to be physically present for that, which mm. was and has been a relief. That does take time though, doesn't it? 
to, uh, especially it, with a well, sudden yeah, and, loss and like you had. And in one sense it doesn't. I feel like because he died, he died suddenly and dramatically um, and there was no preparation, I feel like I felt like I had lost my instincts because I was in so much shock. But what happened was my instincts were heightened and I was feeling like I was being guided by him. And I mean, from things like, okay, where did you put that file to, you know, what do I say to this person? Like I could, he was so present Mm -hmm. that it was like almost as if he, he was there. And, um, and then later he wasn't. And I would look for signs and look for him. And sometimes I'd find him and sometimes I wouldn't in different, I'm someone who believes I'm a bit of a magical thinker that way. And then I learned to trust myself. I just, I wasn't used to having, he took care of everything. I just, I wasn't used to having my own freedom and making the big choices of the house. And I hadn't realized, I thought I was so independent when I was married because I did have a separate life with deep friendships. And so he wasn't my whole life. He was part of my life. And we, we co-parented our son who was 11 when Chris died. And so, but ultimately he had the last word on everything. And I didn't really realize that. I was in a pretty <laughs> conventional, almost like a 1950s relationship. <laughs> and but you didn't that, know it, huh? And all of a sudden I realized, <laughs> oh, I have to decide that. And, and then there was a moment of, oh, wow, I get my way now. You know, like, it was, <laughs> oh, I have power. And it's not, it was scary at first, but then it became kind of, I don't know, just, I don't want to say exciting because it was not exciting, but it was, it was new and it was empowering. I know that's an overused word, but it was, it, all of a sudden it was just me. And we never had a united front as parents. We always had different ideas about how to raise our son. And he had raised my stepson, Andrew, uh, and Andrew is a tremendous, beautiful human being and I think he thought because Andrew Andrew turned out so well that he would be raising our son Mason the exact same way not really understanding that Mason was an entirely different person and, and was kind of more were, like me and, and that, so and that you were involved. Uh, we had a lot of we had a lot of conflict with our choices around Mason's upbringing and so all of a sudden when it was me it was it was so sad. It was so hard to imagine that I didn't have my best friend there to to create my life and to and to, to create our, to continue to anchor our lives. But I found that I had my own answers and my own strengths, and that did take time. And and also, both things can be true simultaneously. I find. Uh, you can, you know, kind of both happening at once. I, I found it just just now listening to you about the differences between you and your willingness and ability to accept that he needed to be himself. I found that really poignant because of how he died. He died doing that. Uh, maybe you can uh, say a little about that and then and then read your poem, Souvenirs and Evidence. Yes. Okay. So, uh, my husband, let me just say, he did things like climbed ice, rock climbed, uh, backcountry skied, 
uh, backcountry mountain bikes like a like a, a madman and uh, kayaked into the ocean and he did all these kinds of things and so the day that he left to to, to go skiing in the local mountains he was actually going to a mountain of man-made snow, but there had been rain. And so there was real snow too. And that's what he wanted. He wanted to duck the rope of take the lift up to the mountain um, that most people ski down on the man-made snow. And he decided he was with our really good friend and neighbor across the street. And they decided to duck the rope and ski on the fresh powder, even though there was avalanche danger. And he got a phone call. Um, his, actually, his friend got the phone call while he was up on the mountain that there were a couple people missing in that right where he was at Mountain High and that he should be careful because or maybe turn around. And he dismissed the call and called the, the person a wuss that, had, that had, he was kind of like that. He would kind of dismiss people that were fearful and uh, he went ahead and plowed down the mountain, and he was buried in an avalanche, 12 feet of snow. And our friend Bruce was skiing behind him, and thankfully uh, escaped and, because he was, he was behind him. And, but he witnessed it, and he tried to dig him out and could not. And uh, Chris was missing they searched for him uh, over for several hours and then um, he wasn't found until the next morning so when I got the call when I got the message that he was had been in an avalanche and he was missing uh, there's not a lot of hope when you hear that and yeah. um, people were saying to me oh well uh, if anybody can get out of this, it's Chris because he had that kind of a spirit. But I knew I just had a sense that I just, I was holding out hope, but I, but I also knew in my body, I knew that he was gone and mm. but I didn't find, I didn't find out it wasn't confirmed until the next day. And, um, I drove up to the mountain that night with, with a, a neighbor and, uh, and they had called off the search for him because the search and rescue people were at risk of, of being buried themselves. And so I ended up coming home and, and just my son slept in the bed with me. And, and I, um, I, I told, well, first of all, we were supposed to go to the Odetta concert that night at McCabe's and Mm. my son kept saying, but what about Odetta? What about Odetta? And I said, we can't go. Dad's missing. And I remember standing over the trash can, tearing up the tickets in the middle of the night. And then we went to bed and I lit this candle for him and I could see a shadow on the ceiling of a body of a it was it was created from uh, this pergola we have outside. There was like so so the the candlelight was reflecting the pergola, and it created this shape of a. It looked like a person, just on the wall, like kind of just climbing up into climbing, a mountain or something. And mm. I looked at that shadow, and I knew he was gone. And then the next day, we drove back. And 
he was found and I had to, I waited and waited until he was found and, and recovered. And then, so this poem, Souvenirs and Evidence, comes out of that because uh, basically for me, what happened was I had, they brought him down the mountain in a body bag and I don't think I've ever told this story um, to anyone really, but they brought him down the mountain and they wanted me to identify him, say goodbye to him, identify him and say goodbye to him while he was wrapped in a body bag. And mm. I said, no, you have to take the body bag off. I need to, I need to kiss him goodbye. And mm. so they reluctantly took off the bag and I kissed him and he was beautiful. He was frozen and he was beautiful and he looked stunned like and so my so my message was oh okay he had one second where he knew something horrible was gonna about to happen and then i i'm thinking that probably after that he was knocked out and um i just kissed him goodbye and spent a short amount of time with him and and then went home and and so this poem I'm going to read is about, is about that. Souvenirs and evidence. The search and rescue crew handed me the bag like a forgotten sandwich. I held it for days, a Ziploc of belongings, his taxi wallet, damp from melted snow with 12 crisp $100 bills, weekend cash to pay for my 45th birthday. His red bandana covered in rocks and ice, smelling of sweat and torn mountain skin. Our son's fifth grade picture in his wallet, hazel eyes, pirate t-shirt, gypsy hair, face staring back at me with that I am safe look. And then the goggles, still foggy, still defrosting from a long night and buried. I held the bag for days. It was the last of him. Later, when people came to pay their respects, to tell me he was in a better place, he died doing what he loved, only the ache remained, like heart surgery without anesthesia. I would share the bag and its contents, with anyone who was interested. A friend put her arm around me and said, you don't have to worry anymore. All the things you were afraid of have already happened to you. That that last is just um, so resonant for me with my own experience, and I want to talk with you more about that, but it's time for a break, so we'll come back to that when we return. And listeners, okay. you'll find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America, and you can sign up for an email list uh, to hear about all things Good Grief. Uh, to find Susan Hayden and her project Library Girl, just go to Facebook and type in Library Girl. Be back soon. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. 
Today's woman faces a stressful world when it comes to staying healthy. We are bombarded by media messages with contradicting ideas about fitness and nutrition. We need to keep our diet, relationships, and stress in check. It's time to get the right message and have the most fun. Join hosts Andrea Beeman, Lisa Lutan, and Michelle Fenighaus for Healthy View Radio. It's health and happiness in one show every Thursday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Health and Wellness. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. There is a difference in health and wellness programs. There can be mainstream programs, and then there is something extra. That something extra is called tips to keep you healthy, happy, and motivated with your host, Kristen Harper. If you want to hear some behind-the-scenes talk radio when it comes to health and wellness, the why as well as the how, be sure to tune in each week. This show will inspire you to be healthy and happy for life, as well as become the best version of yourself. Listen Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health and Wellness. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN. The Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Susan Hayden, an author and curator of a, a literary. Uh, event once a month called Library Girl, uh, which came about uh, after the death, death of her husband. And Susan, before the break, I was so so moved by your by your story of going to say goodbye to to Chris. 
and it made me think about the moments uh, around my wife's death where I was probably surer of what I needed to do um, than at any time before, possibly even since, although I'm much surer more often than I used to be before that. But but, uh, I was so moved by you sharing that, um, that you just knew what you needed to do in that moment. And for me, anyway, those things that I listened to, because I listened to all of them, I did everything that came to me that way. And uh, I have a sense of peace that I don't know that I would have had if I had, I don't know, thought it was silly. Or I mean, some of the things I did were really out of the norm, um, but but they helped me. And I wonder if you Absolutely. have any sense of that. Say that again. You just cut out. I wonder. I wonder if you have any sense of that. With with, um, for instance, that making them. Uh, insisting they take him out of the bag to say goodbye. Um, do you have a sense of that being kind of an inner wisdom that's helped you? Absolutely. I really trust myself, and I always have, and I trust myself now more than ever. But I definitely have a strong inner voice that tells me, that guides me, thankfully. It doesn't all, it's, it can mislead me. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> sure. it's not always, it's not always accurate, but I'm, I, I'm pretty clear on, on what, on what I want. I'm pretty clear on the way things should be. And, uh, and in that, in those moments with ju- of just, I would say, indescribable shock. And, and people would say, oh, you're in shock, you're in shock, which isn't helpful, but no. <laughs> All I knew it was just it's something took over and that that the the knowing part of me took over and I I took one look at this bag and I said and they didn't want to do it. I said you've got to you've got to do this. You have to do this. I was not going to say goodbye to a bag. I needed to yes. say goodbye to my husband and um there was just I, I would have if they I mean I would have cut it open myself. If they wouldn't right. have, I mean, I was that determined and, um, they were pretty shocked actually. And, uh, but I, yeah, I love, I love that part of, I value that part of myself, that, that, that knowing part. And it did show up in these, in these times in the times that were almost didn't even seem to belong to, to reality, um, it was like a bad horror movie. I mean, really, just there were, right. there were, because she was an actor, uh, there were news trucks and there were, um, the, there was a coroner's truck that was circling the parking lot while, while they were trying to find him. And, and there were, there were news crews and it was, it was, and I just told them all to go away so that I could be alone. Did with they, them. did they honor and, that? Did yeah. they go away, Susan? Because the thing about did they, it, they go, did they, they go away? away? I, the, the news, I sent the news people away. They, I made them back away. Um, uh, yeah. I'm glad that they did because sometimes they be don't. Pretty, I can be pretty strong. Uh-huh. And I said I wouldn't, I just wouldn't, that they couldn't t- talk to me or come near me. And then they started, then they came to the house and they started, uh, they started parking in front of the house and like People Magazine was calling. He was not a famous actor, my husband, but he was a, 
very successful working actor. And he was, he had just uh, done a recurring role or was cast in a recurring role on Mad Men. And he had, he had a career and he, um, and so that made it a little more sensational, I guess, for them. And so, and I just, I wouldn't talk to anybody and I would, someone would call from a magazine or a newspaper. I would just tell my mom I couldn't to answer the phone and that I couldn't talk or I would just hang up on them. I just didn't want to, I didn't want to do the interview. I didn't want to expose myself and my, my grief to strangers. I just needed to be in a cocoon of, of friends and family community Absolutely. And so, and, so, and I'm also aware and, that you had a pretty young child. Your son was 11 then, is that right? Yes. Yes. And so I can imagine um n- not wanting him either to giving having wanting him to have his space with what was happening and not wanting him to be overwhelmed by the public kind of wanting to come into it. Did that factor in for you? Right. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. And he, uh, he was, he, my son, he became at risk um, within about a month, within a few weeks. He, uh, what happened was, I mean, I had a, a, fantastic support system. I had, I have, I still have, have this fantastic support system, but people were coming from out of nowhere and, uh, and taking care of us. And, and they were just communities of different from, from my theater community and poetry community to my husband's mountaineering community to the, the parents and kids from my son's elementary school, everybody was there to help. And it was, it was beautiful that they, that so many people showed up and that he touched so many lives and that they were all responding. And, um, but my, and so we were, my friends put me in touch with therapists to try to figure out, well, what do we do about my son, Mason? Do we, he didn't want to leave the house. He just wanted to stay in bed. And I, um, I talked to two or three different therapists and they all said the most important thing for him right now is continuity of routine that he needed to be back to something that was still there that he knew. Yes, I was there, but everything was gone. Everything else was gone Mm. for him. And so they felt that it was important that he went back to school right away and was with his class and with his with his friends. And so now that I think about it, I mean, hindsight is twenty twenty. It was probably too soon for him, but, uh, he went back and it was kind of a nightmare. He ran away from school. He ran away from home. He was, he was so angry, but what was amazing about it was that he was not afraid to show me how, hurt he was and how angry he was. He just, everything came out of him. He didn't hide anything from me. It was just like, and it just, he couldn't hold it in. And instead of just being catatonic, he was just expressing it all and kind of didn't know where to place it. And he was a broken egg 
and I had to put them back together and I did and that's pretty much what I did. I spent I put my grief aside uh, for a little while and I spent everything I had emotionally on making sure he would be stabilized because it really felt like I lost both of them. Oh wow. Day. I th- I feel like this would be a perfect moment for you to share your poem Boys Without Fathers. Um yes. since we're talking about him. That's good. Perfect. Yes. Okay. Boys Without Fathers. This has always been a quest story. Adventures, magical rewards, the tests. Running for my life and from my life since I had feet. Running to meet men who were once boys without fathers. Boys without fathers. They learned their way around things, not by choice. They've given voice and reason to my tiny little weeps toward the unknown. And I was, and still am, prone, susceptible to their lack of guidance, that moral or immoral code invented by being let loose to draw conclusions of their own. A father will reveal a river's hidden moves, the groove in the magic angle, 20 degrees to skip a stone not leave a boy to bond with thee alone and grow up overnight with no instructions. A father will show how to build a fire, pitch a tent, give directions, embellish all reflections, fight with snowballs, fish through ice. He'll be the one that says, roll the dice. It's your turn. Your turn. This has always been a quest story with its circuitous root, its point, and its shoot, its natural disasters. Still running to the men who were once boys without fathers, to seek from within them what's unwritten, the secret to dreaming, the unmarked trail, the back road home, the way to make peace with the alone, the adventures, the magical rewards, the tests, And a plea in their honor, a simple request. Please teach me how to grow my own boy, the one without a father. It sounds to me like that really captivated a huge uh, portion of whatever energy you had at that moment. I get the impression you responded to grief with uh, quite a bit of energy compared with me anyway. Um, I sort yeah. of I sort of needed to be cocooned and quiet and <laughs> that was my yeah. response. but it, there's an energetic feeling when you when you talk about that time. Yes, I was well, <laughs> I. I thought I would flee the scene. I mean, I think that I ran from it. I would say I still, I'm still out a lot and I still have, I have a very full life, but I'm, I, I did anything and everything I could to escape the nightmare of it. And that meant, well, first of all, I talk about this actually at the beginning of my show, the introduction to my show, 
um, library girl, I say that I just needed to feel alive again. And alive to me wasn't holing up in my house, surrounded by people. Alive to me was going to live events, musical events, art shows, poetry readings, plays. I needed to be... I needed to be in community and I needed to feel and what I say, I say this at the show, I needed to feel like I was in a place where nothing happened the same way twice. That time was stretched and I could feel the most alive. And so uh, that's what led to my show. That's another story. But, um, but during that time, I didn't really spend a lot of time in and I didn't have the so-called stillness that is required and that eventually sets in hopefully and has, but I just approached my life in the spirit of our family, in the spirit of my husband who was so invigorated and invigorating and he was such a light to everyone. And it was when he died, it was like the power went out. I mean, it was just, it was like a city Mm. blackout. And I needed to find the light again and ultimately find the light within myself. But I needed to find the light in, at these events. And then um, the other thing that we did was because everybody knew the story, the story of the avalanche, the story of what happened, and, and the community so small, I couldn't go to the market without being approached by people and and pretty much a lot, most people meant well, but some people ran away. There's all these scenarios, as you know, that happen when you have a loss like that. And Absolutely. Um, and they say, look, they say in grief, you get a new address book. And I definitely did. I mean, I still have <laughs> yeah. some, uh, many of my, my dear friends from that time, but a lot of them, several of them fell away including our best friends as a couple um, completely ghosted me at a certain point. And it's heartbreaking. But what happened that first year for us was we became nomads. I would take Mason, my son Mason, and we would just travel. I would take him. I took him to Mexico. I took him to Santa Fe, New Mexico. I'd take him on these trips because we did that a lot as a family. We would take these road trips together when Chris was alive, I don't think I've been on a road trip since, but, um, but Mason and I would fly to these locations, but we would go, we would escape the story and we would go to these places and we didn't have to tell our story. It wasn't attached to us only if we wanted to, but it it was fresh and refreshing to be able to just not have that attached to us and be free from it. And then, really get some peace and some time together. I'm guessing too, I'm, gu- I'm going to have to take a break, but I'm guessing too that's the same energy that led to your, um, your arts night, um, literature and music and poetry night, once a month library girl, that same energy of, of doing something alive. And uh, let's talk about that as sort of how we keep, how we keep hope and what that means when we get back. And, okay. uh, and listeners, you can go to my website, weatheringrief.com or the Good Grief Host page to find me in all kinds of ways and to find Susan Hayden and, and her project, Library Girl. You can go to Library Girl at Facebook. Back after the break. 
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Ready to transform your health and your world? Join host Melissa Alexander for Insight Living with Vitality. Melissa and her guests go behind the scenes on what it takes for practitioners and clients to transform themselves and others. She provides insight to medical procedural breakthroughs, available product resources, and explains lifestyle choices designed to improve and expand your vitality. It's time to get rid of that baggage, remove those blockages, and prevent buildup from hindering your progress in life. Tune in every Monday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today with one thing that has been consistent, inconsistency. Both healthcare providers and patients have to work around and get used to a constantly changing set of rules and issues. Nurses have historically been left out of this decision-making. Listen to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. Health professionals, we invite you to share your ideas and experiences while listening to experts in various areas of nursing. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health & Wellness Channel. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all of our show archives on demand. All from your iOS, Amazon Kindle, or Android device. Download it from the Apple App Store, Amazon, or Google Play, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back to Good Grief. I've been talking with Susan Hayden, an author and a curator of a of a week a monthly show called Library Girl in Santa Monica and um that came about following the death of her husband, and we've been talking about that experience. And one thing that stands out, you said, um, interestingly, before the break, you said you wanted to run, you traveled a lot, you and your son traveled a lot, but it seemed sort of like, obviously, I'm sure both of you and I can agree that we we can't actually get out of it, right? So I never. I, um, I mean, some people do try very hard, but it never worked for me. So um, there's there's some way that I'm wrapping up this um, this sort of. I wish I had another word, but journey. You know, but this this kind of travel you were doing with your son and the ways that you were 
you had so much impetus, creative impetus. I mean, I think of my own times of grief as actually quite creative times because I can't help but do certain things. And they just sort of, I just sort of have to trust the unknown a little little more, Um, referring back to, you know, doing things you wouldn't expect you to. Um, Well, I have to tell you a couple things that um, come to mind. And the first is that I just want to say thank you so much about you having this show because what I love about your show speaks to my soul, which is I feel like it has a spectacular angle, which seems to be about understanding that grief and loss can be a beginning, not just an ending, and can be a jumping off point to the reservoirs of inner strength that we have as grievers and that we can champion our own courage and recreate our lives. I feel like this show represents that and that's why I was drawn to it. And it's become a real ethic of mine. I read a lot of poetry that inspires me and that actually helped lead to my show library girl creating it. There's a, there's a poet, Lucille Clifton. Um, did I, have I read her quote yet? Um, I wanted to read no. it to you, uh-uh. which is, she, did I read this? She wrote about strength through adversity. And oh. the quote is, even when the universe made it quite clear that I was mistaken in my certainties, in my definitions, I did not break. The shattering of my sureties did not shatter me. Stability comes from inside, not outside. That was a quote that I would go to and it would help guide me. And uh, I found myself not just writing, creating, but reading a lot of poems. And because I couldn't yes. read anything longer than a poem, <laughs> yes. my, I was clobbered by, by grief. And it was like a crane fell on my head and I didn't have the attention span to read stories and novels. And um, so the beginning of our healing, besides the running away and traveling and having space of our own was going to a grief support group, which is really important for me to share. Um, There's a place called our house grief support center. And we joined that group six months after we lost Chris. And um, strangely, they don't allow you to say the word lost there. It's you have to say died. My father died. My husband died because they want you to be real and they want you to grasp it. I still use lost, but um, when when I walked in that room, I was judgmental and I was certain that my story was the worst story. And I soon, it was soon revealed that what a great equalizer grief is and that no one's story is the worst story, that all of our mm-hmm. stories are, are heartbreaking and everyone was brave and the souls there just disarmed me. And I found myself relinquishing preconceived ideas that I had and I just dove into the darkness with all of them and I feel like what's so necessary to heal is identification with like-minded people who have experienced their version of loss it's so bonding mm, absolutely can't, can't name it and so I took that one step further um, I was approached by Mike Myers and John Ruskin of Ruskin Group Theater in Santa Monica the Santa Monica airport where I had produced recently had produced my husband's one-man show called Back, The Back Road Home. And we, my husband and I had produced a show, we'd created and produced a show in the 90s, which was performance fiction called Gas Food Lodging. So they approached me and they said, 
how about you do a show? It will help you. And, and, and you're so good at it. And let's go. And I had no idea what I was doing. But I just <laughs> started to invite my, my writer friends and my musician friends. And it was kind of wobbly at first. And all of a sudden, I had a, a monthly show. That was October 2009. And it's, it's, it now has its own shape and flavor. And it's really a celebration of community and it's a celebration of language in its many forms. So it celebrates poetry and fiction and playwriting and sometimes even screenwriting, essays, and uh, singer-songwriters. And my son, who was always a natural musician, my husband taught him his first few chords of guitar, he, um, he went to his music after my husband died, and he started to write songs about his grief. And, and he now has four CDs out. He's 21, and he has four CDs out of original material of work and he's out there he's out there singing and performing all over town and and in other towns too his name is mason summit but he started so i so i used to put him on stage to open the show when he was 12 and you can imagine people rolling their eyes and now he's he's still opening the show at 21 and so he opens the show and i i present other other writers and singer songwriters and it's it's uh it was a way to find meaning again in my life and it has it's been something it's been something to look forward to i needed something to look forward to every month and so i have that and sometimes i do it a couple times i've done it two shows a month and then i had another show for a while that i collaborated on with a friend in chinatown chinatown area of la called the window Um, but mostly i do this show library girl and it's it's become a real community gathering. It's so people come before and after. They come before to hang out. They stay late, and it's it's been pretty much the best thing in my life besides raising my son, who is just like I said. The other he's just the other side of my heart, and um, I don't. And know he makes beautiful I music. I, I don't know if I would have made it without him. Like I just, I don't even know if I would have been able to see what my life was without having this tremendous commitment to making to to healing him and healing myself. But I think we really saved each other's lives. He and I, and the show, um, in a way, like the show was has raised him because the community of people that have, that have become a part of it have, have been a part of his upbringing. For and sure. that's been beautiful. You know, you were asking me on the break, uh, you, you were expressing an interest in talking about hope. And it's coming to me in a certain way. I was, I was therefore thinking in the back of my mind about hope and For me, I realize hope is in what we're talking about, that no matter what it is that happens, unexpectedly and surprisingly, things can come out of it that you couldn't have, uh, you couldn't have necessarily invented had you tried. Uh, You, you know, perhaps you would have said yes uh, to doing this show before Chris died, on the other hand, would they have asked you? 
you know, there are so many um, imponderables. Uh, obviously, most of the things that I do relate very directly to my loss. Um, so I guess that's where hope lives for me, that that's a possibility in the world. Um yeah, and I, absolutely. I hope is is one of my favorite words, um, and I would say that ever since Chris died, I have arm wrestled fear versus hope, which I think we we might have spoken of on the break. But I do not let my fear overtake me. Hope is more powerful, and it it just wins out for me. I you know, live, Susan, I feel like I live let, my life in a way I was unable to live it while I was married. I for loved sure. my husband with all my heart, but I didn't value my time like I do now. I feel like grief and loss and trauma have reconfigured my consciousness, transformed complacency to wonder. You know, we're almost out of time, and I don't want to get out of here. And it's right in line with what you just said, without you reading Full of Life. Can we close that way? Can you read that? Yes, absolutely. Yes. Full of life? Full of life, life. definitely. Okay. And so I wonder, will I ever walk in snow again? Begin to let go of the hand of my frozen man, lured by powder and ice, enticed and betrayed by crystalline flakes. Will I let another skate on the cracked lake of my heart, reshaped and newly landscaped by nature's perils? It's Thanksgiving time, and the radio is playing Christmas carols. I can smell last year's goose like it was cooked last night. Am I right to save the sorrels, the hand-knit scarves of prickly wool? Full of life I am, and thankful. I had no idea I had it all, until now. And how I have even more of an awareness of what came before the whiteout conditions. Ten Novembers ago... We drove to a backcountry cabin in a snowstorm, kept warm by kerosene and skin on skin. Good night, I love you, we said again and again, then fell into slumber under our winter coats. By morning, he was reading John Muir quotes and teasing me about talking in my sleep. You keep doing it, but this time it was the most beautiful word. I heard it and awoke. When you spoke, you said, flurry flurry, a brief light snowfall, the call of a sudden gust of wind, a stirring mass as of leaves or dust, a shower, a powerful burst of commotion, a stir. And we were just that, only we didn't know it, full of life and so thankful. Mm. I've really enjoyed our time together. Thanks so much, Susan. Thank you so much. And be sure and look for Library Girl um, at at Facebook. Just just punch in Library Girl and and, uh, Susan will punch, uh, come right up. And Next also, week, um, that's the uh, Ruskin website, ruskingroupstheater.com. They can excellent. read about a little Wonderful. more about it. Next week, I'll have Marvin Much, who was falsely convicted of murder and spent 45 years incarcerated and did healing, opened a healing group in San Quentin for other inmates. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Mm-hmm. 
Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Thanks again for listening. 